23 is where you're going to be. So if you've been with us over the last four or five months, we've been in this series called Everyday Discipleship. And last Sunday, you know, we kind of said, hey, we're coming to the end of the series and we are focusing on what does it mean to be followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus in the midst of the culture we find ourselves in. And so if you're here last week, we spent just a lot of time just kind of asking the question, what is, it, what is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to our culture, especially as our culture finds itself marked by unbelievable chaos? And so we just talked about some of the things that are going on right now, the acts of terror, the, the racial division that have resurfaced in, in new and surprisingly painful ways. We talked about this unbelievably weird political season that we find ourselves in and trying to figure out, okay, what does it mean to be a woman of God, to be a man of God, to be, to be people of God in times like this? And kind of the sentiment of last Sunday is, it is for such a time as this that God has put you on earth. It is for such a time as this that God has raised up his church to stand at the crossroads of culture. And so last Sunday, we looked at some of the pathways that Christians typically take when culture finds itself upside down. And so there are these moments in Christian history where the church has found itself confronted with much chaos and the church responded by withdrawing from the culture, hiding from the culture, protecting itself from the culture. As long as things are good in here, who cares what's happening out there? And if you were here last Sunday, we said, as followers of Jesus, we were not made to withdraw. We weren't made to run and hide. But there have been other moments in Christian history where the church has actually gone the opposite direction, and instead of withdrawing, we, we conform. And that's kind of our tendency for a lot of us in this season right now. We, we say, hey, we'll think as the culture thinks, we'll live as the culture lives, we'll celebrate what the culture celebrates, we will fear what the culture fears, and if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we end up baptizing both the rhetoric and the tools of the culture, and we call them Christian. And we said, no, this is not what we were made for, not to withdraw and not to conform. There's a third way. We believe it's the Jesus way, and it's to engage, to step into the mess, to step into the chaos. And we allowed 2 Corinthians chapter 5 last week to be our guide. And Paul stands up, and he looks at this, like, messed up church and a messed up culture, and he says, for such a time as this, you were made. Don't be scared you were made. It is the love of Jesus that propels us as ambassadors to both proclaim and practice the reconciliation of God. And last week we went, okay, what does it mean to be men and women standing at the crossroads of history saying, God, here we are, send us. And here's something I discovered last week in the midst of the conversation we've been having is that is a fun conversation to have on Sunday. It is a tough reality to practice on Monday. It is one thing to talk about being men and women that stand for God in the midst of a chaotic culture. But doing that with grace and truth and courage and love is an entirely different challenge in and of itself. And so if you're the type of person that takes notes, I want to give you one question to hang on to this morning as we go into Psalm 23. Just something to kind of tattoo on your soul as we go through the scriptures. Here's the question. In times like this, where do disciples of Jesus find courage to engage the culture. In times like this, where do we as followers of Jesus find the courage necessary to engage the chaos of our culture? Where do we find the courage? So six years ago, my, my wife and I, um, intentionally or not, I'm not exactly sure how it worked out, we started having kids. They just 
kind of started popping out and every couple of years they just kind of kept coming and, and, and coming and hopefully maybe that has slowed down but we have, we have three boys that are kind of spaced apart two, two years each. It wasn't exactly the plan but it's, it's worked out kind of brilliantly because as each of our kids were born, as a new one came into the team, we kind of found out like they have this like built-in little sense of community. And there's this amazing thing that happened. Mike was two years old and Jack was born and from the moment Jack was born, Micah and Jack were as thick as thieves. I mean, just, just best friends. I mean, they're brothers, they fight, they argue. I don't wanna give you like a false picture. Yeah, this is them, isn't that cute? Um, so whatever Micah does, Jack wants to do. So on this night in particular, remember Micah had spiked his hair up and Jack ran back in the house, spiked his hair up and came out and said, Dad, will you take a picture? Because I wanna have a picture where I look like Micah in it. And I'm like, I'm gonna remember this because middle school's gonna be rough. We all know how this goes, right? <laughs> But right, right now, like just best friend, like whatever you do. And, and, and then Judah was born into the wolf pack and he just kind of came in and, and, they're, and they're like welcome, welcoming him into the crew as well. You can take that picture down, it's distracting. Too much cuteness on one page. Um, but there are these things that they, they have, these things that they love uh, to do together. But one of the things that we discovered very quickly on is that although they are very much alike, there are areas where they're also very, very different. And some of you that are parents, or maybe you have siblings, you know what this is like. You can, you can be a lot alike and also have some extraordinary differences, right? And I remember when Michael was born, one of the things we learned about him very early on is he was not born with the fear gene. Like, he, he, he's not scared. I wanted to name his middle name Danger. That ended up being prophetic because he's not scared of anything. He's the reason we meet our medical deductible every year by February. I mean... <laughs> He will try anything, he will do anything. He doesn't know his limitations. Jack, on the other hand, when Jack was born, we, we began to understand that if Micah was marked by almost this um, courageous stupidity, to put it bluntly, Jack was marked by this kind of cautious curiosity. Let me see how this goes. Let me see how this plays out. Let me measure risk versus reward. Let me see the way this story goes. And for much of their life, they've been very different on those two areas. Micah has been marked by courage. Jack has been marked by caution. But over the last five or six months, we've noticed that has begun to shift. And something has begun to change in Jack's little heart. So on Thursday night, we were riding our bikes around the neighborhood. And Mike is riding the bike as fast as he can, just going. And literally, he looks at me and yells, Dad, watch this, which I'm thinking, okay, we're going to Vandy. This is the way, this is the way. Hey, Dad, watch this. And there's this curb, and he decides he's going to pop a wheelie over the curb going as fast as he can. And he pops a wheelie and doesn't get quite high enough, catches the front tire over the handlebars, just face plants. And, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. And he pops up. He says, did you see that? I did a front flip on my bike. And I went, wow, man, you could be a politician the way you just spun that thing. That, that was a wreck. Like, you wiped out. And, and we're, like, checking him out, making sure he's okay. And I kid you not, 20 seconds behind him, here comes Dad, Jack. Dad, watch this. And right over the curb, I did a flip too, Dad. I'm like, oh, this is terrible news if they get going in the wrong direction, right? And here's the thing that hit me as we are riding bikes on Thursday night, is that Jack's courage is connected to his brother's company. That Jack's courage is connected to his brother's company. And what has changed over the last several months is that as Jack continues to trust and love and find himself in the company of his big brother, this courage that he didn't possess on his own accord is beginning to raise and is beginning to strengthen. I go, man, isn't this the heart of Christianity? 
Isn't this the heart of what it is that God has called us to do and to be in the midst of the culture that we find ourselves in? That we, that, that we don't find our courage from this inner strength. We don't find our courage from our charisma or our leadership, but our courage comes through the company we keep. And the company that we keep is Christ Jesus, our King, our big brother in, in the faith that has got on the bicycle before us and has faced every curb. And I love this because David who in so many ways was one of the, the least likely people ever to be used to do amazing things in the kingdom of God, is raised up and he writes this psalm, Psalm chapter 23. And in some ways I would argue that there's no one more qualified to talk about what it is that we're gonna look at this morning than King David himself. I'll just give you a little bit of David's biography. David was the youngest of eight boys. He was so insignificant in his own family that one day when a great spiritual leader came to visit his father's house, his father did not even deem David important enough to call him out of the fields to come meet this man. Then in the eyes of his brothers, in the eyes of his dad, in the eyes of even the king at the time, David was just kind of a nobody, utterly forgettable. But in the eyes of God, David was different. David was the man that God wanted to raise up to call a generation back to himself. And David would continually, throughout the course of his life, find himself standing on the crossroads between the faithfulness of God and the chaos of his culture. And in some ways, David's life would be marked by this kingdom courage unlike any other. And I love it because in Psalm 23, David is gonna give us a glimpse of where it is that we as followers of Jesus actually find our courage. And this is gonna be the whole sermon in one sentence. David's gonna remind us that the courage we find is held in the company that we keep. The courage we have is found in the company that we keep. And David's going to say, here is my company. Look at Psalm chapter 23. Some of you have this memorized. If you don't, you can look down at the scriptures with me. This is what he says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, and in him I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love this part right here. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness. He doesn't just say surely goodness. He says surely your goodness, O Lord. And your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David's going to say, I won't make no mistakes about it. He says, the courage I find in the chaotic culture that I'm in is not about my strategic leadership ability. It's not about my charisma. It's not about my position, my family. He says, the courage I find is found in the company that I keep. And he begins to give us a picture of the one in whom he finds company. Uh, several years ago, my in-laws took Sydney and I uh, to this Brazilian steakhouse. Hey, raise your hand. Have you ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? I'm just curious. Okay, so a few of you know what this is like. You walk in, and they give you a red chip and a green chip, and they give you these simple instructions. They say there will be men and women walking around the cafe. They will have meat on these huge skewers, and if the green chip is on your table, they will stop and just cut meat off onto your plate. You don't even have to ask them to do it. If the red chip is on your plate, they'll pass your table by. And so I'm like, you can just throw this red chip away. I will, I will not be using the red chip. I have come here to indulge in meat, and I'm going to eat as much meat as I can stand. And so we get in, and I throw that green chip out on the table, and I begin to discover something very quickly. 
that there was a big disparity between the size of the feast and the size of my stomach. That there was more goodness in that room than I could possibly take in. And I really believe in some ways Psalm 23 is the Brazilian steakhouse of the Old Testament. I mean, <laughs> I'm serious. You're wondering where I was going with that, weren't you? Uh, I kid you not, there is so much to chew on in regards to the character of God in this psalm. There's no way you can take it all in. There's no way I can take it on. There's no way we can explain it all in 30 minutes. And so here's what I want to give you the permission to do this morning as we're going through the scripture. Just put your green card out on the table. And as the Holy Spirit begins to deliver a piece of God's goodness, sit there and dwell on that goodness as long as you need to. Do not feel the temptation to keep up with me in the sermon. Don't feel the temptation to, to catch everything that we're going to say. Feast on whatever it is that God puts before your soul this morning because we'll trust that in his kindness it's exactly what you need. And so David is going to say, let me give you a picture of the company that I keep that gives me courage in this chaos. And he starts like this in Psalm chapter 23 verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. We could spend a whole sermon on this, but we won't, don't worry. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus is going to metaphorically raise his hand. He's going to say, I'm the one to whom David was pointing. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that your soul longs for. And David's going to say, here's how I have the courage to go where it is that God's made me to go. He says, because the company that I keep is the Lord himself. The all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-existing, the ever-righteous, the never-sinning, the all-loving, the all-compassionate, the ever-truthful. The soul-satisfying, incomparable person of Jesus Christ is the personal companion of David. And because he is David's companion, David has courage to go where David could have never gone on his own. I love the way that he starts the psalm. He says, this is the song, this is the song of my life. It's that the Lord himself gets to be the shepherd, gets to be the leader. Have you ever dwelled on that? Have you thought about this reality? That personally and communally, Christ Jesus himself can be the great leader of every one of our lives. And David says, this is why I have courage in the chaos, because the Lord himself is my shepherd. And the rest of the psalm, David is going to start giving us just pieces of meat. This is what the Lord being my shepherd actually means. And I love where he starts in verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd in him. I lack nothing. If you take notes, this is what David's saying. He's saying, my shepherd, he is my provider. He's my provider. He's my provision. When I was a kid, Psalm 23 is one of the verse, first Bible verses or Bible chapters that my, my parents had me memorize. And I memorized it in an older translation in an older language that made it feel a little Shakespearean and a little confusing. Because in the old language, it sounded something like this. The Lord is my shepherd whom I shall not Want. And I thought, that's kind of rude. I'm like, Jesus, you are the one that no one wants to take to prom. That's what it sounded like to me. Like, you are the shepherd that I didn't actually want. Did you ever read that that way and go, what does that even mean? But that's not at all what David is saying. And I actually like a, a modern translation a little bit better. What David is saying, he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And when I'm with him, my soul doesn't want anything else. All of my wants have been provided for in Christ. My physical, my spiritual, my emotional, my relational needs all are being satisfied. 
The Lord, my shepherd, David saying, is my provision. He is my provider. He gives me everything that I need. This is one of the things that I've been discovering this year is that there's a big difference between having a doctrine of provision and a conviction of provision. And that our churches are full of people that have a doctrine of provision. God provides. God will provide. God will take care of. But we don't have churches that are filled with people that are convicted that he's the provider. Because what happens when our sense of provision begins to wane? We panic. We worry. We scramble. David says, no, 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 not in this house. As culture is uncertain, as chaos is swirling around us, he says, I am who I am because of who's with me, and who's with me is the shepherd, and he's the provider. And in him, there is nothing I lack. Sydney and I, we've been experiencing this in brand new ways this year. Uh, Towards the end of last year, God started asking us to just kind of cut some of the things to which our soul was tethered. We didn't even know that was the case. Let go of your house. Let go of some of these things. Let go of some of these security blankets. And so one by one, we pray, tears in our eyes, just chop the tethers. We're going to let go of these things. God, we don't know where the story goes. And here's what we found over and over and over is for much of our life, we've had a doctrine of provision, but not a conviction of provision. And when some of the tethers were cut, the thing that was exposed in our soul was we didn't know if the good shepherd could provide. Here's what I say, and I can say this with such confidence. I've seen this over and over and over and over. He is a provider. And he doesn't always provide the way that you dreamt. He doesn't always provide the way that you even wanted. But when the Lord himself provides, my goodness, the soul wants no longer. And David says, why do I have the courage in the midst of the chaos? He says, it's because of the company that I keep. And the company that I keep is with the one who is my great provider. And that is the piece of meat that some of you just need to sit with for the rest of the day. But for some of you, maybe the words that David's going to say in the next verse are what your heart needs to hear. He says, he's not just my provider, he's also my peace giver. He says, the Lord is my shepherd In him I lack nothing. Listen to this verse 2. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He refreshes my soul. He restores my soul. I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of you need the reset button hit on your soul this morning? How many of you just need the Lord Jesus to come down and just refresh a heart that has grown so unbelievably weary? David says, this is why I have The courage that I have, because in the company of Jesus, he doesn't just provide for my needs. He gives me the peace that I could not have acquired on my own. He leads me beside still water. He has me feast on green grass. He even has me lay down in his presence. Have you ever noticed that in times of chaos, rest is one of the most difficult things to come by? And David says, but not when you're walking with Jesus. When you're walking with Jesus, things can be chaotic, things can be uncertain, but he will refresh your soul because he's your peace giver. I remember when Sydney and I first got married, we'd been married for about a year, and we we realized very quickly that she and I dealt with anxiety very differently. When I get anxious and worried about something, I tend to just bear down, work harder, just kind of the hustle comes out in me. I'm like, we gotta get this done, I'll do whatever it takes. When Sydney gets stressed out, she becomes narcoleptic. I mean, she literally, she would come home from work, I had the worst day. She'd tell me about everything that's going on, and she'd just fall over and just, and just sound asleep. She didn't snore. I probably did. Anyways, um, she'd just lay down, sound asleep. And I remember one night in particular, we'd had this argument. We were trying to deal with this thing that was just bringing us great stress in our life. And, 
As soon as we get done talking about it, Sydney just lays down on the couch and she's just out. And I'm like, thanks for nothing. Now you're leaving me here to deal with it. And I'm sitting there and I kid you not, just the spirit of God spoke into my heart. No, Dave, that is what I do in a person's heart in the midst of chaos. We lie down. We rest. Reminded me of the story with Jesus and the disciples in the boat. Do you remember that? The crossing they're crossing the sea and the storm comes up and all the disciples, they're freaking out. And what is Jesus doing? It says he's sleeping on a pillow. Wow. And I love what David says. This is David saying, how can we have courage as we walk into the culture that we're in? Because God, because Jesus, Jesus is our provider. He is our peace giver. He gives our soul rest. And for some of you, that's the piece of meat you need to stop with this morning because you know you need the refreshing peace of God in the midst of the uncertainty. But David keeps going. He, he says, the shepherd isn't just my provider. and He isn't just my peace giver. He says, he is also my path. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, he guides my feet into paths of righteousness. David says, I don't have a blueprint for this. I don't know where the story goes. God didn't give me the bullet points. Here's how you lead the, the people of Israel. He didn't give me uh, uh, the, the, the bullet points of this is what it means to be king in this season. He says, but what I have is a shepherd who will literally guide me into the will of God for the sake of his name. I'm just curious, how many of you actually believe this? So many of us are sitting at these crossroads, right or left, Lord, what do I do, Lord? Where do I go, Lord? And I love this, David says that Jesus isn't just a roadmap. He is the, the sojourner, the fellow traveler, the one that goes on the journey with you. This past month, as my family and I, when we were in Australia, we had a GPS that we'd use to drive around because we, we didn't know our way around the country at all. And there's this one day in particular that Sydney and I had to split up and she took the GPS with her and I had to come meet her where she was later. And so the person that I was staying with, she drew me this little kind of handwritten map and said, here's how you can get to where Sydney is. And so here I am driving in Australia on the wrong side of the road, or as they'd say it, on the right side of the road. I'm on the wrong side of the road. It's dark at night. I'm going to a place that I've never been and I have this little handwritten map and I'm trying to kind of read it. Very dangerous, you know. I don't, I don't advocate it, but this is what I was doing. I'm trying to check the odometer for mileage. Maybe you've been there before. And in that moment, I realized if you have to choose between having a map or a person, always choose the person, Right? Because on the way back, once I'd gotten there, one of my friends who was Australian hopped in the car with me and he took his back and I just threw the map away. He said, hey, turn left, turn right, go straight, stay, do this roundabout, do this roundabout. You know, just, he showed me where to go and I went, man, that's what David's saying. He said, why do we have courage in the presence of Christ? Because he's our provision. He's our peace giver. He's our path. He's leading us. He's moving us. He's, he's taking us. I go, what's going to happen in our culture? Who knows other than Jesus Christ? And if we stick close with him, things will be fine. He's our path. But David keeps going. Some of you need to just sit there and chew on that for a minute. David keeps going and he says, he's also my protector. He says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me, for you are with me. I love what David says. David says, being a disciple does not pull us out of the chaos of culture. In fact, the closer you stick to Jesus, the more likely you are to find yourself in a mess because where did Jesus always go first? Straight to the heart of the chaos. But David says, it's because you're with me, Lord. It's because you're my protector, Lord, that I'm okay. 
It's because you're in my midst, Lord, that I am fine. He says, because you have a staff. If you've ever seen a shepherd's staff, it's a long pole with a big hook on the end. He says, if I fall in a crevice, you can pull me out. If I get too far away in the times of trouble, you can pull me back. But he says, in your other hand is a rod. I don't know if you know what a rod is for a shepherd, but a rod is the thing they used to, 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 to beat the wolves, to, to, to beat the burglars and the thieves and the lions that would come their way. I think if David was writing this psalm right now, he'd say, Lord, you are my comfort when I'm walking through dark times because you have a nine millimeter or whatever it is. I'm not advocating guns. Don't hear me say that. He's saying, it's an agent of protection. He says, you're my protector, Lord. And it in you, because you're here, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry about. Does your soul believe that? You know, earlier this year, Sydney and I were driving through Kenya with one of our friends, just an amazing woman of God, and she was taking us past this place that the year before had been subject to unbelievable accounts of terrorism. We just asked her, we said, aren't you scared that that's gonna happen again? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, no, because the Lord is my shepherd. And I'd never heard this verse that way before in my whole life. She said, no, the Lord's our shepherd. She said, we stick with him, one prayer to the Lord. He can thwart the plans of a thousand enemies. And even if he doesn't, he's with us. He's our protector. And David's saying, where's the courage come from? He's my provision. He's my peace. He's my path. He's my protection. I love the way that he ends. David says, and he's our preview of what's to come. Look at this, verse five and six. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Earlier this week, our family went to see a movie and we're sitting there in the movie theater with our $41 box of popcorn and our $17 small Coke, you know, that they spill instantly, no free refills. And we're there in the theater. And what always happens before the movie? It's the previews. And the previews have this way of wetting your appetite for what's to come. And we're sitting there and Jack's like, we need to go see that. We need to go see that. I'm like, yeah, buddy, we'll go see all of them apparently, you know, because previews stir something in you. And David says, I know how the story ends. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, this story ends. Christians, your story ends. You dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And it'd be awesome if we had an excited church about that. You dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. It's an, no, no, it's fake now. It's fake now. <laughs> Think about this. You get to feast with King Jesus forever, face to face. No more mystery, no more praying. Talking, fellowshipping, laughing, walking, journeying along. Man, this is gonna be an amazing thing. He says, that's where this goes. He says, but right now, what I'm getting in the midst of this chaos is a preview of what's to come. Because in the presence of my enemies, the Lord has anointed my head with oil. In the presence of my enemies, the Lord is inviting me to the, uh, to the banquet table of his presence. And I go, in times like this, and for times like this, the church was born. Because in an uncertain, chaotic culture, followers of Jesus should be marked by courage and calmness unlike anyone else. Why? Because of the company with whom we keep. And for us to stand and say, Lord, we don't know what happens in November, 
Lord, we don't know what happens tomorrow. Lord, we don't know what happens whenever it is that's causing your soul anxiety for us to stand on the crossroads of human history and say, we don't know, but he does, and I'm with him. And wherever he goes, I go. And I want to challenge you this week as you think about what it means to be an ambassador, a proclaimer, a practicer of reconciliation in a broken world. I want to challenge you. Don't sit around thinking about how do I muster up the courage to be who God's made me to be. If you focus on mustering up the courage, you'll never find it. But if instead, we as God's people, we would commit ourselves to placing our lives in the company of King Jesus, the result of being in the company of our spiritual big brother is the courage that'll come to face the culture that we're in. And I go, are you lacking courage, Ethos Church? It's because you're lacking company. But he's with you. Do not fear. He's with us. Do not fear. The Lord is with us. And where he's going is good. And what he has made you for is amazing. I want to give all of us a homework assignment before we go to communion this morning. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I want to challenge you to to memorize Psalm 23 this week. Six short verses. You can memorize it. Memorize Psalm 23 this week. And then as you are memorizing that scripture, I want to just challenge you to chase that scripture down with a simple prayer. Lord, help me to know you like this. Lord, help me to know you like this. That's the prayer. Because it's one thing to know Psalm 23. It's another thing to actually experience the God of Psalm 23. It's one thing to say, Lord, you're my provider. It is another thing for you to understand the Lord as your provision. It's one, one thing to say, Lord, you are my protector. It is another thing to find yourself in such a place where you need his protection. And David was saying, come on. Come into the company of the one that I keep. Look at the one that has run his bike out in front of us. Follow his lead. I go, this is what we were made for, church. This is why you've been put here, church. So I want to challenge you this week. Take in these words and ask the Lord to help you experience the realness of God that David paints. Let's stand together. I'll pray for us. And then we're going to take communion together. If you feel comfortable, I invite you to just grab the hand of the person next to you as we pray. Lord, you are our shepherd. Thank you for that. Thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for being everything we need and everything we think we want. Jesus, that offer is on the table because you pierced the veil of darkness, because you took the rod upon yourself, you took the staff upon yourself, you died on a cross, you dealt with our sins, you have called us into the Father's house. God, you can be our shepherd because you were willing to stick around and clean up us, the dirty sheep. Thank you. Thank you for loving us like that. Jesus, would you teach us in real time how to trust you in the core of our being as our shepherd? Jesus, would you give us the eyes to see where it is that you are walking in the midst of our upside down, slightly chaotic culture that we find ourselves in right now. You are not surprised by the times around us. God, would your certainty give us courage? Would your company give us the calmness that we need, Lord, to follow you and to walk with you and to worship you, even when you don't know where this is leading? 
Thank you, Lord, for leading us, for loving us the way that you do. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Amen.